Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. here and it is good to see you on this finally fall football weather sweater wearing day oh please let summer be over (laughs) I know some of you are like what I'm like no let summer be over I'm so ready I'm so ready I'm beyond ready anyhow we are beginning a brand new series a four-week series called cultivate where what we're going to be doing is looking at what it means for us to cultivate our lives, to be spiritually formed into the likeness of Jesus. There are four different ways that we're going to be looking at this over the course of the next month. The first is today, it's cultivating the inner life, cultivating the work that is within and what it means to actually take care of the insides of who we are and how we are formed, how we live out of the outflow of that. The second one is to cultivate a love for our city. What does it look like for us to be a people that actually love our city? And there's a lot of really interesting things that we're going to look at with that one. The next is what does it look like for us to cultivate a life that is upward, an upward life of focusing in on God and what that means for us as a people. How we can begin to to really press our hands into the soil of God. And then the last week, what does it look like for us to cultivate a life of community, a life together here as a people, as we continue to build on this thing that is called United? That's the next four weeks for us, or the next three, this is week one. That's the next several weeks for us as a church as we begin to press into this. And there's going to be several things that we want to do together as a church family in the in the in the process of this, that that will really allow us to dig our hands deep into the soil and see formation take place in our lives so that we can be the people that God has called us to be here in this city, so that we can be the people that God has called us to be in our workplaces and in our families and in the environments and the places that God brings us to. This is our work over the course of the next four weeks, but also this is a lifelong pursuit. For some of us, this will be a brand new beginning, something very new for us and what it means to kind of dig into this life. And for others, it'll be somewhat of a refresher or or like, oh, yeah, I forgot about those things. I need to do that or I need to jump into that and really spend time in these spaces. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you throughout the course of the next few weeks to really dig in, to press your hands into the soil, to cultivate a life that is both pleasing and aromatic to God. Let's pray as we get started. God, thank you so much for this time that we have to gather together as a church. Uh, Father, we pray that as we gather here, for those that are traveling, for those that are far off, Lord, we just pray for them right now as a church family, that they would be safe, that you would would hold them in your hands, and that as they connect with family and friends, as they are on work trips and vacations. Father, we pray that you would continue to speak into them and bring them back to us in a way that allows us to be better off because of their presence and because of you. So, Father, this morning as we jump into your word, as we jump into the text, God, we just pray that you would challenge us, that you would push us 
but at the same time, you would allow us to have open hearts and open minds, open ears and open hands to the work that you would have us to do today. So it's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Can you hear that? Can you hear that voice? That little voice inside of you? Can you, can you hear it? When I was a kid, I was peppered with questions all the time. I think all of us were, right? We're always peppered with different questions. What were you thinking? Right? I got that one a lot. What were you thinking? I wasn't thinking, I don't know. What do you, why are you doing that? Or all sorts of questions. We were peppered with questions left and right. But there was one question that continued to get drilled at me left and right, day after day after day. Not just by my mom or my dad, but by friends and by family members from near and far away who would always ask the same question. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? It oftentimes followed after the question of, what were you thinking? What do you want to be when you grow up? Huh? I don't know, right? But I was peppered with these sorts of questions. And oftentimes, they would offer an answer for me. Oh, I bet you, you want to be a policeman. As usually happened after watching the movie Naked Gun, right? And Leslie Nielsen, right? Like, oh, you want to be a policeman. No, I... I I don't think so. Oh, 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 you want to be a firefighter? No, no not really. I'm scared of fire. I, I, that I'm okay. Like, I've got asthma. Smoke is not my friend. Like, I'm good. Or, or after, watching, after watching Indiana Jones movies, right, like with my dad, oh, I bet you you want to be an archaeologist. A what, what? An archaeologist. What's that? That's what Indiana Jones is. I bet you want to be an archaeologist. No. I am not running, at, running away from these giant boulders that are rolling down these tracks. There's no way I want to run away from people that are shooting arrows at me with their poison little darts. There's no way that I want to be found confronted by Nazis. Right? When their faces melt off. It's good times. Or every kid goes through that phase. Like every boy goes through that phase in like fourth and fifth grade where they're like all about the dinosaurs. Ah, I bet you, you want to be a paleontologist. A paleo what? A paleontologist. What is a what? Is it somebody who studies dinosaurs. Oh, no, I just like to play with the little figurines. I think they're pretty cool. Jurassic Park came out at that time. I didn't really want to run away from dinosaurs either. Right? Like, all of these questions got peppered, but then people automatically gave a response. They told me what they thought I should be. They told me what it was that I should do with the rest of my life. What do you want to be? It was a ubiquitous question, I think, for everyone. Right? What do you want to be when you grow up? And oftentimes, in my own life, when I finally started to speak up for myself and say, Oh, I think I want to be a lawyer. No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. No, 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 that's a bad idea, right? So the minute that you start to vocalize and voice what it is that you want to be, other people's opinions start to push it down and really kind of like needle it into the ground. 
I, I, I want to be a politician, maybe. No, 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 you don't want to do that. No, stop. That's a terrible idea. You will be miserable for the rest of your life if you do that sort of stuff. The voice that was within was squelched, was pushed down by all of these outside influences, all these outside voices. And those voices became louder than the voice from within. Can you hear it? Can you hear that? All our lives, we've been told what we should be. Listening to the voices as we've tried on different types of identities, different types of clothing or hairstyles, different types of musical interests all throughout our lives and told, no, 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 you shouldn't listen to that. No, 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 you shouldn't wear that. No, 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 your hair looks terrible. All the time, we're told by all of these outside influences pressing in on us, trying to push and pull and mold and shape us into this identity that doesn't look much like who we actually are. What am I going to be? What am I going to do? What is my life going to look like? All of these what questions are external sorts of questions. Questions that, that push on us, but also speak only to the outside of who we are. Only to the external of our being. What are you going to be? What are you going to do? What is your life going to look like? Never once, never once in my entire life, especially as a kid, never once was I asked the question, who do you want to be? A question that speaks from the inside out. Who do you want to be? And, and not like the who's who of whatever. Remember like back in the day, back in like the 50s and 60s, it was a big deal to have like the, be a part of the who's who, even like the 20s and 30s. There's like this national list of, oh, the who's who of, of doctoring and the, the who's who of paleontology. It's not that. It's, it's the who from within that speaks out of the existence of our very being. Who do you want to be? Shh. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Parker Palmer, in his book, Let Your Life Speak, said this. Vocation, and vocation is not what we do. Vocation is who we are, who we were designed to be. Vocation does not come from a voice out there calling me to become something I am not. It comes from a voice in here calling me to be the person I was born to be, to fulfill the original selfhood given me at birth by God. That our vocation, how we were designed, how we were created, how we were supposed to interact with the world around us comes from within here. But yet the entirety of our lives has been spent listening to voices outside, pushing us in different directions, away oftentimes from who it is that we were created to be, who it is that God implanted in us and wants us to live from into this world to make a difference in the world around us. Oftentimes we are pushed and pulled to be a different type of person, 
than who we are so that we could actually be like someone else. And oftentimes we find these models in our life, right? We find someone that we look up to and say, oh, I want to be like I want to be like that person. And so we do our hair differently or we, we wear different clothing because, oh, I want to be like that person because I look up to them. Sometimes we even change our speech patterns, the way in which we talk, the, way in, the words that we use, or even the ways in which we phrase words as we walk throughout life and as we speak to people. We change. We change all of these external things to be like someone else and not the person that God called us to be, the person that God implanted in us as a unique and special individual. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are unique, just like everyone else. Right? You are unique, just like everyone else. Every single person is unique. We all have these God-given abilities within us that calls us forth, that calls us out into being who we are. But we are so concerned with the external that oftentimes we forget about what is actually inside. Not just that voice, but who we are and who we are forming ourselves to be at the very core of our being. I don't know if you know this either, but we're always being formed. We're always being formed into the image of something or someone. But who is it that you are being formed into? You see, this is not a new problem. This is not a new question, this question of identity and this, this question of, of this external focus that we have on our lives. In fact, Jesus spent a lot of time talking with the Pharisees at one point about this very issue. In Matthew chapter 24, where he goes through the woes, the woe, W-O-E, where he's like, whoa, Pharisees, whoa. He's having a conversation with them in the temple where they're having, they've, they've talked with him about all sorts of different things. And here Jesus says to them, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out the gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you. No, go back, go back. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees and hypocrites. What's so fascinating about this woe, this woe that he pours out on the Pharisees is he's talking to them about this external work that they're doing with their spices. That they're so focused on their external look, on their external works, on their external identity, that he's even criticizing, like, you guys go around with your spices, your spices, and you're giving a tenth of that. Now, now, how many of you have a spice drawer? in your apartment or in your house, right? Like, they're so full of spices. Have you ever, like, as you're, as you're, like, dumping it out, like, into your food, as you're spicing your food kind of thing, as you pour it in and it's all getting in and everything, and you're like, how old is this spice? Right? You look at it and you're like, oh, that expired, like, five years ago. 
It's probably still, it's, it's, it tastes okay, great, yay. I don't even know if spices expire, right? But like, it's like this old, old spice. Like some of it's even clumpy, right? And you're shaking it to get it like unclumped so that it'll actually pour out a little strainer at the top of the McCormick little bottle, right? You're like, get out of there. Well, these are the Pharisees that have these spices and they're, they're like, oh, 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 oh. Like you can just imagine they're, they're, they're spreading out this little jar of spice on the table and they're like using like a, a piece of like a, like a well like a razor blade is all I can think of at the moment right like, like almost like they're doing drugs and like uh, shh, right and they're like figuring out what a tenth of that spice is of mint and of dill and of cumin right they're like spreading it out and then here you go this is for God and where would they even give that right like we don't pass an offering basket here. We do everything online, but I, I can't imagine like us passing an offering basket and then all of a sudden like, oh, I gotta put in my dill. Okay, great. But it's all about that external focus. This is what Jesus is talking about. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys are hypocrites. You're focusing so much on the external that you've forgotten what the law is really about. Justice and mercy and faithfulness, things that come from within, things that come from within who you are and what it is that you are about. Woe to you, which basically means like, hey, disaster is about to strike you. Like, woe is kind of this idea of like, hey, disaster is at your doorstep. You best be careful if you keep cutting the dill, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. But he continues on when he says, woe to you. Again, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean out the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Once again, this external idea of like, oh, I, man, when, we're going to start teaching Elliot how to do dishes here fairly soon, and she had better be cleaning the inside of stuff, right? Because if she's just going to clean the outside of the bowl and then set it in, and I get up in the morning to make myself some cereal or some oatmeal, and I set it down, and I start to make it, I'm like, oh, what is that mold? No, that's nasty. Nobody's going to eat out of a nasty bowl, right? Nobody wants to be a part of that kind of a breakfast. If you went over to somebody's house for dinner and you sat down at the table and they've got their fine china all out on the table, it's like this beautiful spread. And you sit down, you're like, yeah, let's eat some food. I smell, it smells so good. And you kind of look at the plates and you're like, oh, that's nasty. Like, what is that? I don't know how old that is, but I don't know. But the, but the host comes out. They're like your friend. They're like, oh, we got this great feast for you. Here's the big old slice of roast. And you're like, mmm, that looks really good. Can I just eat it off that plate? It, it, was that one clean, right? Like you would be so embarrassed if that were your house, if you were the host, right? And if you were the guest, you'd be embarrassed for the host. You'd be like, mmm, dang, like that is nasty, right? Like the cups are really gross. They, and it's not just like, you know, like when you got the wine glass and you have the little spots from the, from the dishwasher kind of thing on it. Like, who cares about that, right? Like it just doesn't look, eh, it's not nasty, right? It's just little spots, water spots. 
But if there's mold and nasty and filth and greed and self-indulgence inside of that, Jesus is saying, hey, you focus so much on your external being, on what you look like to other people, of allowing other people to press in on you and shape and mold and form you. But you've done nothing inside. You've done none of the work to change who you are but also allow who you are to speak forth and to spread into the world around us. He keeps going. Like, he he uses another metaphor. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You're like whitewashed tombs, which basically means like it's this old nasty tomb. If there's bones in there, there's been a tomb that's been around for a while, right? The body does not decompose quickly, right? I'm not going to talk about all that because that's gross. But if there's bones inside the tomb, that's been around for a while. So you've got this like tomb, like these are above ground tombs. They're just kind of nasty. And so you would go around and whitewash and make it look brand new. Like, oh, look at this. I got a new tomb, right? It's so excited about what it is. Like, so you can show off to your friends and family as you make your way in. When I was in the Philippines a couple of years ago, one of, one of the really fascinating things about the Philippines is how they handle death, and how they handle like graves and cemeteries. It's actually a communal, familial experience. It was one of the weirdest questions I had when they said, hey, you want to go to the cemetery with us? What? No, you want to go to the cemetery with us? We'll show you uh, the, the missionaries that helped start this school. I was, I was adjunct, I'm an adjunct professor at a Bible seminary in Manila. And they're like, hey, you want to come with us? And we'll, we'll show you the missionaries that helped start the school. And I was like, Huh, yes, because I was taught that like whenever you're in a different country uh, with a culture and a custom that you don't know, you just say yes to everything, which is how I ate balut, which is, yeah, just look it up, have fun. It was a fear factor thing that people failed. Anyhow, I succeeded. Anyhow, I I said yes, and they, they started taking me, we literally drove into the cemetery, and the weirdest thing started to happen was that I noticed people all over the place. And I have never seen a cemetery more full of alive people. Alive people. They were riding their bikes, kids on their bikes, riding up and down. They were playing frisbee. They're just throwing, they're throwing a football. They're playing soccer. Kids all over the place inside of the cemetery. And then when you got even closer to where we were going, you saw these giant blankets sat out and families having picnics at the graveside of their family members. And, and these tombs, these, uh, some of them were above ground, some of them were below ground. These tombs, these gravesites were decked out, man. I mean, they were some of the most beautiful things. It wasn't just like, like when you walk into the cemeteries around here, like the cemetery on the backside of the hill, right? You just see some, some flowers. You're like, oh, cool. And every so often, somebody will do something really neat at a, at a, at a, at a gravesite where they'll, they'll put up, like, mementos for the family kind of thing, or they'll, they'll kind of decorate it with some, uh, some um, uh, flower, flowers on a string kind of thing. And you see, like, these beautiful things as they come around to commemorate, like, the actual death of the person. 
And so they'll decorate it a little bit. But, but in the Philippines, it was, it was super fascinating because it was like, like they were the clean, like you, you saw them actually like cleaning the tombstone, like cleaning it. Like they had like their, their pledge. I, I don't know what you would use it, like 409, WD-40. I, I don't know. Like as you clean it, like they're making it really clean and sparkly and shiny. The, the, the gravestone or even the ones that were flat in the ground, they were cleaning it. And they were leaving all sorts of mementos and they were making it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger than everyone else so foreign to me. I was just like, oh, wow, that's, huh, this is really unique and really different. We don't experience that here so much. I have not been to my grandmother or grandfather's gravesite since they died, or my aunt's gravesite since they died. It's just not something that we do on a regular basis, or something that I do on a regular basis. Granted, they're in a different state, but still, it's not something that we do or think about very regularly. Even as a kid growing up, I didn't go to my grandfather's gravesite with my parents except for maybe once every couple, three years. And we'd lay some flowers, and that was about it. But here, Jesus is saying, like, you have taken these tombs and you're decorating them. You're making them really beautiful, these whitewashed things, but inside is death. That's you. You can decorate the outside of that thing. You can go hog wild and make it all sorts of beautiful, but on the inside is still death. These bones that have decayed because you have not done anything about the inside of who you are. And of allowing these things to come forth and to come out, you are missing the whole point. That's what Jesus is saying. You Pharisees, you're just missing the whole point of what it means to do this life in the kingdom of being a follower of God. You're missing the whole point. You're you're not doing the internal work of being. You're missing it. We too are just like the Pharisees. We too are these people that oftentimes just focus on the outside of our being but fail to see the inside. We fail to cultivate the inner life and listen to that voice that is speaking. Do you hear it? Do you hear that voice? The work of cultivating the inner life is not easy work. It is a work that takes time, that takes discipline, and that takes patience. And one of the ways in which we as a community are going to attempt to cultivate this inner life is through something that is also completely foreign to us as a people. It's really strange and weird and just like, why would I do something like that? It's a silent retreat where we are going to gather together somewhere outside of the city in a cabin in the mountains, and we're going to not talk or listen to anything except for nature and whatever is out there. And we're going to spend time silencing all of the external that, that, that pushes in on us and tries to mold and shape us. And we're going to be, push all of that aside and push all of that away, but then also silence ourselves so that we don't say anything and listen to the still, soft voice of God as he speaks, and as he calls forth from within us, and as he shares with us 
who it is that we are, our true identity at the depths of our being. This will be a guided sort of silent retreat. Guided in the sense of like, hey, here's the directions and there you go. It's something that I've done for the past few years and have been some of the most profound moments of my life as I sit and contemplate in silence who it is that God has called me to be. It's been some of the most formative work in my life and something that I want us as a community to experience and participate in as well. Something that I believe that we will take with us in profound ways as we figure out how to live this life together as a people in silence and in quiet. And so if you're interested in that, it's got to be a really small group. We've got a few people that have already said yes to this. But if this is something you'd be interested in, just let me know. All you got to do is say, hey, Silent Retreat, I'm interested. And we'll figure it out. Like we're going to try and figure out a weekend in November sometime that, that kind of works for everybody and move into that space. Because I think it will be formative for us as a church and as a family and as a people, as individuals of what it means to be this kind of people. The second thing, it will launch tomorrow. It's a cultivate guide. We've had people from around our church who are writing, <clears throat> who are writing different meditations and different thoughts to help guide us through these seasons based upon the weeks that we're going to be going through in, in this Cultivate Guide. Some of them are audio prompts. We're going to do some Lectio Divina, which basically means listening to Scripture, listening to the divine words of God and allowing us to listen and stop speaking but process what it is that God might be saying to us in that space. And so there will be all of these sorts of things. It will be a daily sort of thing, Monday through Saturday. Every day, you just go to unitedchurch.today because <laughs> it's today, right? Unitedchurch.today, starting tomorrow at 6 a.m. is when the first one goes. And each, the idea is that each of these would be about five-minute experiences, but go to unitedchurch.today every single day, and you will be able to be guided into these sorts of spaces as we cultivate who it is that we are. Because, you see, once we begin to focus in on the inner work once, it, once we begin to focus in on who we are at the very core of our being, not only are we changed, but the world around us is changed because of it. Because we live into the uniqueness of our being. Uh, Parker Palmer in his book, Let Your Life Speak, said this, We are here not only to transform the world, but also to be transformed. That we are here to make a difference in this world, yes, but that can only happen if first we are being transformed by who we are at our very core. And so as we begin to step into this series, as we begin to step into this life of cultivating the soil of our being, let us see what this can do as not only the world around us is transformed, but it's because we are being transformed. In just a moment, Trevor's going to come and lead us in a practice, something that we want to continue to cultivate as a church, is being formed in these different types of practices of who we are and how we can begin to, to cultivate the inner soil of our lives. And as he comes up to lead us in that, let me take a moment to pray for us. God, as a church, as we step into this season of, of transformation, as we step into this season of formation, 
Lord, may you continue to guide us and prompt us and push us and challenge us and pull us and turn us around and flip us upside down. God, may we be like your children who are uh, enamored with you and falling deeper and deeper in love with you as we step into these disciplines as a church. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. If you would, I want to ask you to find yourself in a comfortable position as you sit. Um, And as you sit, let's all close our eyes to begin. And take notice of where your arms and your hands are in this moment. And then close your hands into fists. The fists represent an area in your life in which you are not letting God in. And as we sit, let us listen to what God has to say. Where in your life are you compartmentalizing or not allowing God to be? Another way to ask is, what is God saying to you in this moment? As we sit here, and if you have identified what it is God uh, is speaking to you or that you have an area in your life that you have not turned over or compartmentalized. As we sing, I'm asking if that God would move us into a space of letting go or letting in. So as we sit and as we find this moment or this, this thing in your life, When you are ready, or if you become ready today, simply open your hands as a symbol of letting God into that space. often have closed fists. We often do not allow you into spaces where we are uncomfortable or unwilling to allow you to be. God, we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage necessary for ourselves to allow you into those spaces, for you are already there. 
you are already with us in every part of our lives, in every space, in every location that we find ourselves. Would you give us the strength to be open to you? Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.